I, uh, I don't think I'm old by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, I think I'm still relatively young, uh, though uh, some may not agree with that, depending on their perspective. Uh, I'm 44. Does that make me middle-aged? What do you think? Mm, you don't want to say it, but uh, I, I, I can cope with being middle-aged. Well, what I'm going to say would make me sound ancient to some members of the congregation. Uh, when I was a boy, if you wanted to find something out, if you wanted to get some information, here are the ways you could do it. Uh, you, can, you could ask an adult who may or may not know the answer. You could go to the library. You could read it in the paper. You could hear it on the radio. Or you could watch it on TV. Mind you, there were only three channels uh, when I was a child, BBC One, BBC Two, and ITV. And I can remember at some point in our childhood, Channel Four came along. It was a very exciting occasion. We were all gathered around the TV at my grandparents' house, uh, waiting for this channel to start up. There was no internet, no Google, no mobile phones, uh, no Ask Siri. There was none of that. Uh, the ways that we access information and the amount of information available uh, has exploded in my lifetime. And you might think that all this information would make us cleverer or at least better informed, uh, but I'm not sure that it does. Uh, now that we've got Google, no one really needs to remember facts. You just look it up on Google, find the answer, and then forget again a couple of minutes later. Uh, although I will concede that Google is very good at resolving small-scale family disputes. Uh, you, you know the kind of contentious issues that crop up in families from time to time, you know, like uh, which is heaviest, the world's biggest pig or the world's biggest crocodile. Uh, I'm sure it's not just my family that have these kind of uh, heated debates. Uh, and uh, Google can resolve those quite quickly. Uh, the answer, by the way, is a pig, in case you were wondering. It weighed well over a tonne. But in general terms, uh, all this information isn't making us any cleverer, and it's certainly not making us wiser, because uh, knowledge and wisdom are two different things. You can have all the knowledge in the world and still be a complete fool. Someone once said that a wise person is not the person whose head is full of facts, but whose life is full of acts. In other words, knowledge is the accumulation of facts and information. But wisdom is more to do with who you are and how you live. Have you ever crammed for an exam? Uh, for some, it might be a long time since you've taken an exam, but maybe you can remember cramming. You know, the, the night before you're due to take an exam, uh, you fill your head with as much information as possible uh, so that you can regurgitate it onto the exam paper the following day. Anyone, anyone ever done that? I suspect we all have at some point. A few hands went up. Well, no amount of cramming will make you wise. You cannot take an exam in wisdom. Wisdom is not theoretical. Uh, imagine that someone did come up with a wisdom exam, and you decided to take this exam, and the first question went something like this. Someone cuts you up in their car. What do you do? Do you A, toot the horn, make rude gestures, and yell at the top of your voice? Or B, remain calm and unruffled, and play, pray that uh, this person will become more considerate? Uh, obviously, we know that the correct answer is B, but ticking 
B in an exam wouldn't make you wise. You'd only be wise if you actually did B in real life. So when James talks about wisdom, he means who we are and how we live our lives. And James contrasts two kinds of wisdom. Godly wisdom versus worldly wisdom. Wisdom from above versus wisdom from below. Wisdom from the Holy Spirit versus wisdom from a demonic source. And it's easy to see the difference. But before we look at that, let's just consider the kind of scenario that this teaching most aptly applies to. Uh, Last week, our theme was taming the tongue. And we looked at the first part of chapter 3. And it began like this. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. So James is discouraging all and sundry from becoming teachers. And then a little bit further on, he's talking about these two kinds of wisdom. So I want you to imagine the following scenario in the early church. So imagine there's these two groups of people. Uh, Not everyone would fit into one of these groups, but there's these two groups. There are those who are qualified to teach. Uh, Their gifts have been recognized by others. They're humble and motivated by a desire to glorify God, and they're willing to devote their lives to the service of others. That, That was one group. And the other group is the complete opposite. They're not gifted in the area of teaching. They're self-promoting. They want to glorify themselves, gain kudos, and be respected in the community. It's all about them and how they'll be perceived. The first group are governed by godly wisdom. The second group are governed by worldly wisdom. And James is saying, look, you don't have to be a teacher to be wise. In fact, putting yourself forward to teach when God's not called you to that or when you're doing it for the wrong reasons, well, that's the opposite of wisdom. Um, that's worldly wisdom, counterfeit wisdom. And so when we read this text, we need to have that scenario in the back of our minds. Uh, but there are many other scenarios that this could apply to. Uh, perhaps the most obvious one is the workplace or any other situation where we need to work in a team. It could be a church team. So in these kind of scenarios and in life in general, what are the characteristics of godly wisdom and of worldly wisdom, and how do we tell the difference? Well, our reading begins with this. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Now, we know that James was heavily, heavily influenced by the book of Proverbs, which is uh, basically a collection of wisdom sayings in the Old Testament. And Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So wisdom begins at the point that we acknowledge, revere, and respect God. Uh, and we've already noticed in previous weeks, there's this thread that runs right the way through James's letter which is that uh, if we know and love Jesus, there ought to be evidence of that in the way that we live our lives. So James is saying that our wisdom can be seen in the life that we live and the good that we do, but it also has to do with the spirit or the attitude with which we approach these good deeds, what James refers to as humility, sometimes translated meekness. Meekness was considered weakness in the ancient world, but Jesus elevated it to be one of the primary Christian virtues. 
We worship a God who is humble and who requires us uh, to be humble too. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Gentle and humble in heart. That is God's character. Matthew 5 verse 5 says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek. Meekness isn't about being cowardly or passive. It's about trusting God. And when we trust God, we feel secure in who we are and what we're doing. And so we don't need uh, to big ourselves up. We don't need to be self-promoting. People who feel the need to keep drawing attention to their own prowess and achievements are are often very insecure. Uh, So meekness or humility uh, wasn't seen as a virtue in the ancient world, and it's often misunderstood in our culture too. It's not about beating yourself up or seeing yourself as inferior or less worthy. That would be to forget that we're sons and daughters of the living God. Uh, Rick Warren, he's an American pastor, he's quite well known. Uh, He once says, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. And C.S. Lewis elaborates in his wonderful book, Mere Christianity. He writes, Do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man, he will be what most people call humble nowadays. He will not be a sort of greasy, smarmy person who is always telling you that, of course, he is nobody. Probably all you will think about him is that he seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. If you do dislike him, it will be because you feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. Well, the antithesis of humility is the person who is self-centered, the person who only thinks of themselves. In verse uh, 14, James reveals the fruit of this kind of attitude, this kind of thinking, Uh, bitter envy and selfish ambition. Bitter envy is when you don't want anyone to overshadow you because it's all about you. And if someone steals your limelight, well, you hate that. You may even hate that person. Selfish ambition is being prepared to split the group, to tear someone down, to to make someone look bad, whatever it takes to elevate oneself. I think we can all see how destructive these heart attitudes would be in any work environment and even more so in the church. Verse 14 says, if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. In other words, a self-promoting attitude is a denial of the truth. If we start boasting, I'm going to do this, I'm going to achieve that, you just wait and see what I'm capable of, that's a denial of the truth. It's Christ we're meant to be promoting, not ourselves. What's more, a selfish attitude denies the body of Christ, the unity of the Holy Spirit, and the love that we're supposed to have for each other. Selfishness is a denial of the truth. It's a denial of the gospel and the lived experience of the church. But that's the wisdom of the world, isn't it? Look out for number one. Get ahead. Outdo the competition. Be a bit ruthless. James tells us in no uncertain terms 
where that kind of wisdom comes from. Verse 15, such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. And those three words that he uses, earthly, unspiritual, demonic, they correspond with the three great spiritual enemies that we read about in Ephesians 2, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Earthly corresponds with the world. Unspiritual, which literally means carnal, corresponds with the flesh. And demonic, of course, corresponds with the devil. Earthly, unspiritual, demonic, the world, the flesh, the devil. And the result of this Satan-driven conflict is, of course, disorder and every evil practice. This worldly wisdom and the conflict and division it creates is inspired by Satan. And a lot of churches fall foul of it. Who's ever watched The Apprentice? Hands up if you've seen The Apprentice. I've only ever watched it in the UK, but I'm pretty sure there's an Australian version. Has anyone in here ever watched The Apprentice? One per- oh, the two people willing to admit it. Well, anyway, for those who haven't seen it, it's a kind of reality TV show where they get um, young businessmen and women and they divide them into two teams and they have to compete against each other um, with various business tasks. So uh, each week uh, they'll give them a different task. So one week they might be uh, opening a pop-up cafe. The next week they might have to market a particular product. And uh, they, they, they do all these kind of things week to week. And every week someone gets fired. The person who's considered to be least effective uh, with the least business acumen, they get fired. Uh, and that's the kind of catchphrase for the show, you're fired. Well, the people who take part in the program uh, are by and large not very humble. Uh, in fact, they often epitomize worldly wisdom, not exclusively, but for the most part. And so relatively simple tasks become very difficult because there's infighting and backbiting and power struggles. And as a result, uh, they often make a complete dog's dinner of the task. Uh, disorder and chaos ensue, which I guess is what makes it compelling viewing if you're into that kind of thing. The world's wisdom, which is basically selfishness, leads to disorder and every evil practice. And this holds true in every sphere of life. As we've seen in the business world, it leads to ineffective teams. In marriage, it leads to unfaithfulness and abandonment. In friendships, it leads to somebody getting used. In religion, it leads to making God in one's own image. And in the church, it leads to division. And the truth is denied that we are one body living for Christ rather than for ourselves. But there is another way, and that is to embrace the true wisdom that comes from above, to stop thinking of ourselves and to start thinking of other people, to be humble, to humbly submit to Christ. And on this fertile ground of humility, the other uh, virtues that James mentions will begin to grow. The qualities of being pure, Peace-loving, considerate, submissive. In this context, the word submissive means being willing to hear the voice of reason and back down. Submissive. Merciful, impartial, and sincere. Together, these words describe someone who is hard to provoke and easily pacified. 
And of course, the only person who ever completely lived up to this description is Jesus. And so we model ourselves, our lives on Jesus. James ends with these words. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. And this is really James's uh, equivalent of what Jesus said when he was given the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Well, we are all children of God. And so we ought to be governed by the wisdom that comes from God, that comes from heaven. So to sum up, when we are selfish and self-promoting, when we subscribe to the world's wisdom, we become fools. And the effects of, on our lives and on our families and on the church is disastrous. But when we humbly submit to Christ and allow him to transform us into his likeness, we become wise. And that's a win-win for everyone, for us, our families, our work colleagues, our friends, and the church. So we've looked at uh, James 3, 13 to 18 today, and I couldn't help notice that Proverbs 3, 13 to 18, uh, same numbers, uh, provides a perfect summary of what we've just been talking about. So I'm going to finish with those words from Proverbs 3, 13 to 18. I think we got them for the slide. Blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding, for she is more profitable than silver and yields better results than gold, returns than gold. She is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. Those who hold her fast will be blessed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wisdom of James. And we recognize that selfishness is, is, uh, is worldly wisdom. It's just thinking of ourselves, wanting to get ahead, no regard for others, but uh, selflessness and humility and putting our trust in you, Lord, is true wisdom. And it's a wisdom that changes uh, every facet of our character and the way we live our lives. So we pray that increasingly we'll be governed by the wisdom that comes from heaven. We pray, Lord, that you will make us uh, wiser as we progress through our lives. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.